everybody. Uh, it's February the 11th, 12th, sorry, and uh, we're recording uh, PHP Town Hall episode 19. Uh, we're joined once again uh, by by Ben Edmonds and Zach Miller and um, and Jeffrey. If you want to say hello, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do. Yeah, uh, my name is Jeffrey Way. Um, I've done a lot of things uh, in the last five years. You probably know me. I was the the editor of NetTouch Plus for like five years. So I worked at Envato. I worked on some of our, our code-specific marketplaces like ThemeForest I managed for a little while. And then we launched a, um, a marketplace called Code Canyon. And that's where like, if you build you know, various co- components that you want to sell, you could actually sell it through Code Canyon. So I did that for a while. Um, do lots of video tutorials. I'm the owner of Layercasts. Uh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> um, so I guess one of the the most recent uh, exciting things you've been working on is uh, Laracasts, which a lot of our listeners are Laravel fans. Uh, we've had Taylor on the show twice, so uh, um, I'm guessing they'll be interested to know what you're up to at Laracasts. Yeah, Laracasts. Yeah, that was kind of an interesting thing. So. Here's kind of the backstory on that. I was working for, again, I was working for Envato recently, and I worked on a, a platform called Touch Premium, and that's basically like we do all these courses, and every few days we release a new course on everything, you know, everything from development to audio. But I started to get to the point where I was really getting into Laravel. I got into it like right when Taylor launched version three is when I started getting into into Laravel, and I liked it so much, so I wanted to focus on it on it more. And also I was kind of migrating over. I'd been doing so much JavaScript work and I I like, I don't think JavaScript is nearly as bad as some people do, but I was doing a lot of JavaScript work, but it was starting to wear me down. So I was kind of switching back over to doing uh, more backend kind of work. So I don't know. I I decided that I wanted to have kind of a a similar subscription model to touch plus premium, but specifically for, for Laravel and modern PHP. So, um, yeah, recently, like after five years, uh, I tr- decided to step down from, from Envato and Touch. And that was a big deal for me. You know, I'd been, I'd been working at Touch and Envato for so many years. You know, like a half decade of my life was dedicated to, you know, some of their, their various products. So this was a big deal for me, at least, especially like to, to, to create a site like Laracast, you know, um, I don't know. I, I guess we'll see how it goes. So now uh, I focus on Laracast. I focus on I'm going to do a little bit more freelance work than I did before. Uh, I'd like to do more open source work um, than I've been doing in the past. So, yeah, uh, a lot of things on my table at this point. I hope it turns out OK. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure it will. Um, and one, of the, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was, um, uh, I guess, what your what your role was at uh, NetTuts and, and generally what you were doing there? Because I were you the founder of NetTuts? I never really no. I knew you were the editor. But. I'd love to take credit. No, but you know what? I was at NetTuts like when I got hired. NetTuts had maybe maybe like a thousand RSS subscribers, and I actually thought that was a huge number at the time because you have to remember this was like back in two thousand eight. So all of this stuff like. Uh, to put it in perspective, like when when NetTouch launched jQuery, I don't think existed yet. So just to kind of kind of put it put, put it in perspective. Wow. So I did I didn't create uh, NetTouch. Callis Taid, he's the uh, the CEO of Envato. He's he's basically the vision behind Envato. 
he, uh, he launched a site called PSD Touch, and that's like a tutorial site specifically for Photoshop, but like high quality Photoshop tutorials. And then NetTouch was launched literally over the course of a weekend. As, as I was told, like on a Saturday, Collis thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we did something similar to PSD Touch, but specifically for web development? And over the weekend, they launched NetTouch. And then it got to the point, like, as probably many of the people watching or listening to this know, like we just kept adding more and more. So we we added one for audio, we added one for uh, design, and I can't even think of all the the various sites that we have now. And at this point, they've all been merged into like one Touch Plus website, but it wasn't like that a few years ago. No, I remember when there were like a million different sites. I'm, I mean, I remember NetTouch being around for a long time, um, and it's interesting you say it's done in 2008 because I kind of it just seems like one of those sites that I always remember being around and always remember landing on with Google. Um, yeah, it's the cool thing about NetTouch, especially a few years ago when you came on, is people didn't know how big it was. I think people thought it was just you know a website that had web development tutorials, but our traffic was like kind of ridiculous. We had like millions of visitors to the site every single month. So NetTouch, you know, like before NetTouch, I had I was never an editor. You know, I was just some guy that like liked web development, you know? And so I got invited, like I, I wrote a couple articles for, for NetTouch and then it was just kind of um, serendipitous. The guy who was editing NetTouch, I don't think he lasted more than about a month and they were kind of out in a lurk. So um, they offered the job to me and then I did it for, you know, a handful of years. So NetTouch was really my baby, more or less from the beginning, giving a few months. But yeah, it gets to a point, you know, it's, it's not good to, to stay anywhere too long. Um, I'm sure you guys would agree. So five years was at that point, like I'd learned everything that I could possibly learn at Envato. So I think it was time to kind of move out on my own. Now you threw out a couple of tweets about the, you didn't like how they kind of de-emphasize community, I guess. Do you want to talk about that a little? <laughs> and how maybe you think that was Wirecast? <laughs> I should well, actually note that I deleted those tweets after. No, I well, honestly, I have. <laughs> well, we can, uh, you cut this if you want. No, 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 you're good. Uh, I really honestly have the, nothing. Hold on. The question, Phil, was uh, he threw out a couple of tweets about how um, part of the reason he left was because he felt that they were de-emphasizing the community with NetPlus. Okay. Net Plus. Well, and um, that, that was kind of the direction he wanted to go with LaraCast. No. Uh, I, th I think that came out wrong. That's why I deleted the tweet. I really have nothing... Okay bad I could possibly say about Envato and Touch. It was it was a very good experience for me. It was uh, it was very good specifically for me because it allowed me to have a job specifically while I was spending all of my time learning. So it, it was kind of like a lot of people who went to university, I didn't I didn't really do that. I did everything on my own. So NetTouch was amazing because I was getting paid to learn. So every time some new technology came out, I was able to learn it and I was actually getting paid for it. So like that was that was amazing. So I couldn't possibly have have done some of the things that I've done today without uh, Envato and Touch. So I really had nothing bad I could possibly say about them. But what happened was I got to the point where, like, I'm trying to think how I could say this. I got to a point where I I wanted to have more control over over where things went. And Touch was amazing, but it was starting to go in a direction that that wasn't necessarily applicable to me. Like I wanted to. I wanted to build NetTouch specifically into this like massive, massive community specifically for web development, you know, and Touch was kind of going more like we're going to teach everyone. 
And, and that's really cool. Like that's a major uh, aspiration for the CEO of Envato to have, but it wasn't necessarily what I was interested in the most. I wanted to focus more on on code. So it got to the point where I kind of wanted to, to break out and, and really have more control over specifically what I did. And another thing was like, I was, I was working at um, touchplus.com, which is touch premium. That's like a, our premium branch at, branch at Envato. And I was doing too much managerial work, just too much. Like I was spending so much time in base camp and, you know, it's like, I don't want to be doing this. I, I like to code, you know, I don't want to be like organizing projects in base camp. So it just got to the point. It was, it was time to go. It did start. That, that, it did start to get very base camp heavy. There was like a lot of conversations starting up around, you know, should we do a, an article on this uh, or should we do an article on that? And then all the people that usually write the articles were talking about which technology they preferred and which, why they should do an article on the other one. And, and it, right. I, I get it. Like, it, it's really useful to have that discussion amongst people that are interested in writing these articles. Um, but at the same time, I was like, I haven't written an article for you guys in like two years. I don't care. I'm going to leave now. <laughs> Well, yeah, because it's like if you've written an article, you're immediately part of that group. Yeah. And I mean, if you th if you think about it in, in our defense, like we have such a massive author base at Tuts. So you need some way to kind of communicate with everyone. So Basecamp is is really fantastic for that. But, yeah, it just got to the point I was so tired of dealing with with all that, like organization and scheduling. And, you know, I'm, I'm a developer. You know, I don't like doing that stuff. That's fair enough. Um, one of the things uh, about um, Laracasts is obviously half the name is Laravel. Um, uh, one of the questions that I'm sure you get a lot um, is, you know, one of the one of the plans is it going to be just Laravel forever? Because um, you did mention uh, earlier that it was going to be kind of Laravel and modern PHP. What sort of what sort of things are you trying to achieve with Laracasts in the videos? I'm assuming it's going to evolve into something a little bit more for modern PHP. Originally, this just turned out like the Ruby community had Railscasts, which is like fantastic. Railscasts, I've watched so many episodes of it. Uh, I'm sorry to, to see that Ryan doesn't. I don't know what's going on with Ryan at this point, actually. He um, he said something like he, he needed a break. I, I honestly don't know the status of this, but he keeps delaying his return. And uh, if you check his Twitter feed, I don't think he updated it. So I'm starting to wonder, like, what happened to Ryan Bates? But uh, I think maybe he just burned out. It's Anyways, I wanted like, a... Uh, Top-level web developers that just eventually decided, I'm just going to go and be, like, a kickboxing expert in the middle of Hawaii somewhere. He's just like, I'm done with this. That happens a lot. Yeah. You know, I, I can't I can't blame them. Like, this stuff is so hard. People don't talk about this enough. You know, like, coding is, like, ridiculously hard. For the last, you know, I don't know, seven or eight years or so, like every single day I'm working on this stuff and I still feel like a hack sometimes. Like I, I am a hack compared to some of these people. And it's like, man, you have to dedicate like a decade of your life into this stuff just to get to the point where you feel confident enough, you know, to actually work on some of these larger projects. So I don't blame that these guys like just kind of burn out. And, you know, it's so funny, like they don't just burn out and do something else. They do the complete opposite. They just completely leave their their development they leave computers and they end up being like you know boy yeah, like, scout people like why why just disappeared off the face of the earth for like three yeah. years yeah yeah exactly yeah. well yeah and um, rick Ellis from of cody light of fame he's he was the example of the kickboxer i think he's into like brazilian mai tai or something and he's just he's just not doing computers anymore well it's kind of different too because he kind of made his fortune you know honestly yeah. i wish that would happen to me like i don't want it to happen now but 
in 10 or 15 years, I wouldn't mind just completely leaving all of this. I mean, like to, to stay mean, up 10 or 15 years. I was thinking 10 or 15 minutes. Well, <laughs> I'm 28. So, you know, by the time I, the thing is, like, once I'm 40 or when we are 40, I don't know if we can keep up at the point where you have like children. And I don't know. Like, I feel like it's a young person's game. I have a brother who's who's been a developer for a very long time. And he talks about this a lot. Like once you get married and you have kids, it just gets to the point. You can't keep up with these guys that are 21 years old that are, that are like, a, you know, we all were like that. Probably you're a sponge at 21 where you just soak up everything you can. And I think it gets well, to the I mean, point. Go ahead. Sadly enough, that's probably where, you know, kind of you look at the big corporations and, you know, you see the 40 year old .NET developer, right. you know, working nine to five and going home. That's probably where that comes from. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's like twenty years, you know. Yeah. So I wouldn't. I would be perfectly fine in ten years or so, just completely leaving all of it and and doing something totally different. Ben, what's your plan for when you're done with computing? I don't know if I'll ever stop because even when I, you know, try to get away, I can't. So uh, <laughs> I don't. Know. I don't see myself being a, uh, you know. A straight up developer for someone else at that at least I hope not at that point, you know. Hopefully I can be like Jeffrey when I grow up and do what I want to do. Do you think it like do you see it as addictive? Do you feel like coding is addictive at all? Yeah, well I think the bad part is because it started as a hobby and then it became a career. So now you know in a lot of ways I'm really one dimensional. So like what's your hobby? Coding. What's your career coding? You know? Yeah. And that's kind of sad, but it's also kind of good because I love what I do, you know? I think a lot of developers end up that way. I mean, if you uh, if you give a developer two weeks or a month off work, what are they going to do? They're going to start coding. I got involved in Fuel PHP because I had three months off work, and I was like, well, so I might as well code then. <laughs> um, I think that happens a lot. Hack projects, like you go away for a conference, and you're like, cool, I don't have to work all weekend, and then people get in. We spend all weekend three. working. Right. We we didn't spend that weekend working in Miami. Not Sunshine this fun, one, but, but usually. <laughs> Sunshine was great. Yeah, so how was that? It was really good. Um, I really enjoyed quite a For bit those of those that don't know, we're talking about a Sunshine PHP conference that just finished. Uh, uh, Phil and I went. Florida. Phil and I went with our, uh, with our good friend, uh, Jose, which you may know of as Savant, who manages uh, and maintains Homebrew PHP. And uh, we all went down together and learned some things. Yeah, we were on the same flight, and we were all going to be meant. We were all meant to be sitting in coach, and Zach uh, got upgraded to first class for free. So sometimes when you, well, you know, I used to fly a lot, and I still had some uh, some status on the airline. So they had an empty seat, and they gave it to me. And they were like, "Hey, so there's two of you, but we've only got one seat." And he was like. Fuck those guys. <laughs> anyway, you know, uh, the conference. It was weird, though. First class isn't what it used to be. First class used to be like the elite. It's really like, especially on some airlines now, first class isn't that different from coach, but it's like $1,000 more. Every time I go on a flight, I think, oh, I'm just going to splurge and do it. And then you actually compare the prices, and it's ridiculous. See, so this is something that is has absolutely nothing to do with anything that we've ever talked about. But uh, Anthony Ferrer and I were talking about it at Sunshine. And, like, in the last 10 years or so, first class is not 
the seats for the rich. It's the seats for the people that fly a lot. Because if you're like, when I started working at SeatGeek, I commuted back and forth from Chicago to New York every other week. And you just kind of get tired of the tiny little seat. And most of the people that are sitting in first class fly every day or every week. Mm -hmm. It's just sort of like changed over the last you know, handful of years. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I fly a lot, but I don't fly every week. And to me, though, like economy comfort is close enough that I'll pay the 50 bucks for economy comfort, but I won't pay the 500 bucks for first class. Every time I've ever sat in first class, I was sitting next to someone that was like, oh, yeah, you know, they upgraded me. (laughs) Not someone that was like, I dropped two grand. The other major difference is that it's not really just for people that are so rich that money has no no meaning and they don't know what dollars are. It's just mostly because you can uh, you can't be like a businessman and you can't have a uh, a a overnight Atlantic trip uh, cross Atlantic trip and then go straight into being like a shark in a meeting room. You know, like you can't you're just too fucking tired. Like I just spend an entire afternoon just kind of stumbling about and walking into things. Um, so like the extra money is usually paid for by a company. And it's definitely because you have to and not just because you're, you know, too pathetic to deal with smaller seats. Um, I've only done it uh, once, like, each way uh, in first class in Virgin, and it was amazing. I, they, like, I just had this whole nest, and I was just lying down <laughs> with, the, with the vibrating seat on, like, before we'd even taken off with my glass of whiskey, charging my iPad <laughs> and my iPhone in separate <laughs> USB sockets. And I was like, I never want to leave my cocoon of there was also the problem yeah. with Sunshine is that I showed up Friday morning four Bloody Marys in because they're free. Oh, you, you, cut, you cut that number down a little bit. <laughs> it's, it's debatable as to it, – it depends on how you count a double. Okay. He's averaging for his size. Okay, because I'm just saying all I heard all day was I've had six Bloody Marys and now we're drinking this massive pitcher and this huge bottle of whiskey. So I, I'm pretty sure it was four Bloody Marys, but two of them were doubles. So you can count that however you want. Yeah, the weird thing is that. these people who like dress up in suits to get on these these flights. I guess they have to maybe because they're going directly to straight to offices, a meeting. But I feel so bad for these guys that's like eight in the morning and they're in this full suit. I have like I've worn a suit maybe once or twice. I feel so bad for them. They probably no, feel bad for like me it. because they I'm in it. jeans. That's exactly it. They're like, man, look at this schmuck. He's yeah, exactly. Jeans. What an ass. <laughs> like they still have beepers or something. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, I'm very glad I'm not in that PHP. line of work. Let's get back to that one. Uh, so what are the real highlights of Sunshine PHP? There were yellow elephants being handed out. I've got one Got one over there somewhere. Oh, I uh, saw those wait. at um, there you go. Ski. Wait, wait um, it's there. There it is. Oh, Ben, you keep talking. Never mind. Can't see it. Uh, <laughs> so are, are the yellow elephants, is that related to the, the women of PHP thing? I know there's some new website I keep seeing. Well, that's uh, I think they're purple for women. Got my first little yellow one. Apparently they got yeah. those. There's uh, there's red ones and green ones and all sorts of shit. Oh, yeah, that's I'm right. Not, is this the Kickstarter red. thing that I saw on Twitter? No, yes, it's PhD not that one women. either. These yeah. women are doing a Kickstarter for the purple elephant, which is going to help them uh, send representatives out to more conferences, which helps get their name out there and helps you know raise raise awareness of the course and a bunch of other things. I think. So, uh, yeah, that's definitely a good one. Google search for the PHP Women Kickstarter, and you can get one of these that's purple. Um, I think they might have already sold a bunch of them, but whatever. There was another them. Kickstarter that just ended, too. I think it was um, PHP Architect, maybe, ran one. Oh, okay. For another elephant. 
Uh, once you got one, it's addictive. I want all of the fuckers now. So I'm, I'm fine with the one. <laughs> um, how we got that one was great because we just followed the uh, the organizer of the conference out to his car at the end in the dark, and and we took them from him. So that worked out pretty well. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Sunshine BHP was pretty good. Uh, it was great. Um, it was a really well-run conference. It was a great hotel venue. Uh, nothing went wrong, which is, I always like to ask people that organize conferences. So so what went wrong behind the scenes? Because after doing a couple of shitty little ones myself, it's always interesting to know. And, and he just had nothing. He was like, no, nope, everything went perfectly fine. There's usually something like the television exploded and we had to replace it at last minute. But, um, there Phil and I were on a podcast and made fools of ourselves as always. I did not. I, I'm not going to listen to that podcast. Like I do this one drunk all the time, but goddamn, we were hammered. Now, Cal usually does his pretty like pretty not over eighteen style. So how bad were well, you? Like, so at the at the beginning style. of the podcast, he says, um, "Everyone got fucked up. Don't listen to this one because it's inappropriate." <laughs> yeah, he That's said, awesome. okay, so Phil Sturgeon, would you like to tell us a little bit about your book? And I said, can I swear? <laughs> so, uh, Wait, is this the one, like, I saw something on Twitter, Zach, about you getting in an argument with somebody? Yeah. And saved for part two? What happened there? So, um, I don't remember exactly what happened. Uh, it's a little blurry, because Phil and I had 40s, and... Uh, <laughs> That is anyway, so uh, though. You and Larry Garfield had a massive dispute about something, and I'll be fucked if I can remember what. No, it yeah, was the don't be up. a dick license. No, that was that was a follow up. I, I think yeah, we just uh, for some reason were arguing, saying everyone should use DBAD for everything, which was hilarious. Yeah, I got in a I got in an argument with I think just Larry uh, at Drupal, and uh, I, it it ended well. It ended well. You'll have to listen to part two of the podcast because part one was pretty mundane. <laughs> But Are you sure it ended well, or you just forgot how it ended? Sorry. Yeah. Did you, are you sure it ended well, or did you forget how it ended? <laughs> no, no. I'm sure. I'm sure it ended well because I I remember it being over, and I was like, Larry, I'm sorry, I was an ass, and he was like, Uh, no, you weren't an ass at all, and I was like, Oh, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I definitely got into an argument with Paul Jones, which was fun because uh, we don't do that regularly. Oh man, um, arguments with Paul are just awesome. Yeah. So hey, I didn't tell you he argument. actually um, after my he, I met him at Ski PHP for the first time in person. Oh, nice. And so after my talk, we went to the uh, lobby, ordered a couple of drinks, and sat down slide by slide and went through my presentation and pretty much argued about every portion of the war fell. <laughs> well, the, his main thing was facades. And so right. it's all semantics for him. So he just, he can't yeah, stand that. So Taylor calls it a facade, but it's not a facade pattern. You Why know? do you guys we think people jump. are so pissed off about that? We can okay. jump back to the, to the conference stuff in a second, the pool stuff in a sec. Um, that is something that really does annoy me. So I personally have a list of, uh, not necessarily gripes, but like concerns and things that I think are valid pieces of feedback about Laravel, um, and and I've given most of them to Taylor. Um, and and there are there are things that I think are important that it should focus on. There are things that I think don't fucking matter whatsoever. And one of those things is oh, now you're sounding like me. Yeah, just like <laughs> like when we talk about PSR two. Um, but I feel like just because it's it says facade, but it's not the facade pattern. If you look at Wikipedia or like any design pattern book. 
there's probably um, there's like a design pattern for every single word you can think of. Um, so you're kind of screwed. Like he said, this is a facade. He hasn't said this is the facade facade design pattern. He's just said right. this is using something I call a facade. In the same way that he has, this is something I call a composer, and it's not the composer design pattern. So it's mostly just people looking for something to bash Lara Fett about. And because they haven't used it enough, they don't have anything useful to bash. I have a couple of things that I want to bash because I've used the fuck out of it. So I feel like if you're just sitting there taking pot shots, then it's pretty easy to tell most of the time. Like, it's all static. That's not a facade. Like, it's all- Yeah, but, I mean, to give Paul credit, for him it's not a pot shot because he's not – He's not like that, but for him, actually, the semantics of it. Oh, it sure does seem like he has it out for Taylor. Well, so a lot of people have it out for Taylor. Whether anyone is specifically trying to attack Laravel and using shitty things to do it, or whether they are simply complaining about something that doesn't really matter at all, is kind of the same problem. I I assume I assume Paul's falling into the latter uh, uh, category of not you know not trying to attack it. But just complaining about something that doesn't matter, like that, that doesn't matter at all. The fact they call it a facade, you know, in the same way that like composer and presenter, these are all there are all design pattern like terms that relate around those, and, and they don't always kind of line up. Um, it's not like when uh, uh, Ellis Lab decided to pick Active Record for a pattern that was not. Oh God, that is like the worst decision <laughs> that's ever happened. Yeah, and do you know who fixed that in version? But you know what? It, it comes back to this idea like people don't. It comes back to like Sorry, people don't on. agree on some of this terminology. Sorry, um, you know, like I don't, I don't worry about it too much. People don't agree on on these patterns or principles and stuff. Everyone has a different word, you know. Just you just join a different community, you know, and it's it's completely different. So I don't know, like if if you want to get mad at Taylor because he calls something a facade that you don't think is a facade, who cares? You know, honestly, it's just it's oh, in the Laravel community. Like this is what we refer to as a facade, you know, and I don't know. I honestly I feel bad for him a little bit. Like on one hand, he's built like I think Taylor's incredibly important to the PHP, like ridiculously important in our community. But then at the same time, if you read some of these Reddit comments, people are kind of jerks to him. And there's no kind of about that. They're being crazy motherfuckers recently. Yeah, exactly. And it's like somehow it's like. Taylor's probably listening to this. Somehow it's it's turned into like Taylor being a jerk. And honestly, I'm just not seeing that. I see like he releases this free stuff on top of his job. And then people like just want to poke their fingers in it at all the time. And then you're surprised when people are a little bit sensitive. You know, you forget like there are actually other people on the other end of Twitter or GitHub or Reddit, you know, and it's like it's like developers, you know, there's this, you know, idea that developers aren't good with other people you know you always see people joke about that and it starts to seem like maybe that's true because people are really rude on twitter if you actually read some of these these dialogues and maybe that's just because you know like people don't people don't use smiley faces you know so you never actually know what somebody's thinking on the other end kind of like the thing with with you phil when you were talking about uh laravel and silos it's like if you don't have any emotion on the other end you don't know if the person's just being casual or if they're actually you know having a go at you and yeah. i have no idea what i'm trying to say here but it's actually developers are actually uh, it's actually really interesting that you brought up those points because there a lot of these things were brought up in the podcast phil and i were talking about earlier where 
people, you know, start to confuse free as in beer and free as in freedom, which is a point that right. Paul Jones actually made on the podcast we were with him. But there is this whole mentality that we talked about. I feel like I had this exact conversation last week because I did. But this entitlement thing where, you know, you, some, somebody gives you something for free and then you expect that for free and you expect them to fix it when it breaks and you expect everything to be perfect forever because somebody said, you know, here's a bit of code I wrote. You yeah. can have it. And then you expect lifetime support and everything else for the rest of your life. So there's been a lot of, of anti-Laravel uh, stuff recently. I think people will probably noticed a lot of this. And one of the reasons I put on that is if you look at the um, – go to Google Trends. I'll try and put a link to this in the show notes. Um, go and look at Google Trends Look at um, uh, and, and put in keywords for different frameworks. And you put in um, put in Kohana and Symfony and, uh, you know, ZF2, whatever. Put, put in as many, you know, frameworks as you can think of and then put in Laravel. And you'll notice that in the last, like um, – it's just come out of nowhere, and hockey spiked. And in the last six months, it went like the, the massive, the massive, uh, the largest chunk of that, you know, the upturn of the hockey stick uh, really happened. And I feel like the last six months has been when everyone's trying to have a little fucking go at it. So with, I think I said something along the lines of uh, like, oh, everyone's trying to have a go at Laravel. That's what happens when a piece of software gets popular, and everyone went, oh, and that's the only reason, not because it's shit or anything. <laughs> Um, and it, it really just is the, the number of people that have been looking at it recently is going to get a lot of feedback. Um, but I do feel like there are ways in which Taylor can, can go about doing things that will make these things slightly easier. Um, just by getting more people on the core team, having their involvement more, more publicly advertised, like Sean McCall and Dale uh, Reese, they're on the core team, but everyone still calls uh, Laravel a one-man show. Um, so there are like a lot of these little things that I feel like well, I mean really do. But would Taylor you expect anything else? Sorry, go Ben. Like Taylor <laughs> feeds into that though. Just a you know, like a week ago, he posted about. I'm sure I'm glad that Laravel's a dictatorship, basically. So, I think it's a constant conscious decision on his part to kind of model himself after the BDFL of Laravel. And yes. so, in a lot of ways, I think he wants to downplay other contributors. No, I don't think that's true at all. There's a lot of the time. I don't think that's true at all. Um, he, he makes a lot of these jokes where he says, um, like, uh, Laravel is the best framework in the world. Like, in, and in the context of that whole conversation, you see that and you know that it's a joke because he's a really nice guy. But then yeah. when someone takes that one tweet. I complained to Paul about this in person as well. But when you take that one tweet out of context and inject it straight into a blog completely fresh with no context, that makes him look like he's saying, my framework's the best in the world. Fuck no, that's me. not what I'm talking about at all. But, I mean, do you guys not think that Taylor is modeling himself as a BDFL in Laravel? It's not exactly a community effort. Um, I mean, I think I for know. better or worse, BDFL is, is entirely accurate. And yeah, I, I'm not I, saying I've it's spent, right or like, wrong. A whole lot of, that's what he's doing. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've never understood if that's a, a, a slur or not, but... I'm Honestly, say, guys, I just I, I would say Google that that's the case BDFL. in this situation. So BDFL is benevolent dictator for life, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Honestly, I just had to research that. No, I do not think Taylor's doing that at all. Honestly, yeah. whenever you hear Taylor talk about Laravel, he says we. Everything is we, even though I think, you know, he, he does most of it in the end. And I think, honestly, that's probably a good thing. You know, that's why Laravel progresses the way it does. 
So I, I, I don't think he, he likes to, I mean, honestly, he, uh, not honestly, but he, of course he wants to make himself synonymous with Laravel. That's just good for his career. That's not a bad thing at all, right? Mm. Why would that well, be I, I mean, I don't, BDS I'm not saying it's not, bad, it's not a bad thing. I mean, you see people on this yeah. list like, uh, you know, Guido and, and many other people on this list, on the BDFL list. It doesn't make it a bad thing. It's just, you know, one person takes up, stands up, takes the reins and, and runs something the way he thinks it should be ran. It's not necessarily negative. Right, but Same it seems thing, like yeah. people attack him for yeah, that. You always need one person at the top, right? You always have to have the one kind of, like uh, Fabian Potenser is obviously definitely the BDFL of the Symphony community. Um, right. And there are lots of other people involved that have a say as well. Yeah, my what I was trying the point I was trying to make is so if we counsel Taylor or someone, Phil in this case, counselors Taylor that he should make it more the community thing, I don't know if that's necessarily an oversight on Taylor's part. It's more as a conscious decision of trying to model himself as the BDFL um, for all the advantages that gives, but also the disadvantages. So I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but it's going to have negative feedback and it's going to have positive things. Maybe. Honestly, I think it's a good thing. So for all the people that say Laravel needs to be more community-based, I would say, like, okay, what more do you want? Like, Laravel uses more community packages than, than, from what I hear, any other framework in existence. So he's already leveraging a huge amount of the community. Next, a huge number of people contribute to Laravel. So... Yes, Taylor is synonymous with, with Laravel, but that's a good thing, right? Like, I don't necessarily understand why that's a bad thing. People who keep asking, you know, Laravel needs to be to be more, um, I don't know what they're trying to say, more, maybe more people should vote, kind of like PHP Core, where people vote on every new feature. Well, when you allow for that, well, then you're also getting away from the thing that made Laravel great. His instincts are what made Laravel great. So if you want to... I don't know, like create this scenario with Laravel where a, a panel or, or some group, you know, votes on what happens next for Laravel. I don't think that's a good thing. I kind of like that we have a dictator, you know. But, yeah, you know, like, a huge number like of pull requests are accepted. I can't, remember, I can't remember how we got started onto, onto this one. Um, just to be clear <laughs> that it was never me complaining about. Yeah, we were talking about. Um, let's blame this one on Laravel. And we were saying. No, I stand by the fact that he's a BDFL, but I don't say that's a slur at all. Yeah, I'm trying to state the think, fact I that I think he chooses that role. But anyway, so we were saying possible gripes with Laravel, and we were saying you know maybe more community involved. Yeah, what are some other gripes about I think that was a choice. Oh, so, so some of the some of the genuine complaints, uh, well, not complaints, but like bits of feedback that a lot of people have. Uh, some people whine about facades when it doesn't matter, and some other people whine about other stuff. Um, uh, one thing that would be good to talk about is the, um, who wants to argue about like whether Laravel is actually siloing itself uh, as uh, against the community or not? Because what I kind of meant about that has been very First Trojan. Yeah, <laughs> fuck. Here we go. No, I've got this one. Um, so something you brought up, Jeffrey, was that Laravel, um, and, and something that, that Taylor agrees on, uh, you both say that, uh, that, that um, Laravel is very much a community project and it's involved with the community because it leverages the packages of other communities, right? So it's got, uh, it used to have Symphony routing, that's gone. It's got some of Doctrine's DVAL. Um, it has various different uh, packages like whoops and a few other things knocking around. That's awesome. Um, what it doesn't do is ship up its packages in a way that other communities can use them. Um, the, the, the very main point of 
uh, having packages in, in Composer so they're installable as a separate package is that you can install them as separate packages, right? I mean, that's pretty much the point. Um, the problem is that you just can't do that. Uh, the one the one package in right, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be back. All right. Okay. Uh, you've heard this rant anyway. It's fine. Um, the one package that you can install uh, separately outside of of the whole Laravel or outside of including most of the Illuminate package is eloquent. And the only reason that that works is because I hired a guy to make that work because it was fucking complicated. The trouble is that we haven't hired other guys to make other packages more accessible, and they're still fucking complicated. Uh, so if you want to include um, Illuminate pagination, for example, which I've been working with for my Fractal package, which people should definitely check out. Um, if you want to install pagination, um, it's it's very tightly coupled to uh, the HTTP kernel, and it's uh, you need a instance of the view uh, class, and you have to include half of half of Illuminate to make that work. Um, all of these packages could easily be cleaned up to be to be uh, much much less uh, coupled, like reduce the coupling drastically using getters and setters and really basic things like that. Right. Um, and and I always knew that that was the case with um, with Laravel uh, with the Illuminate packages from uh, August 2012 when I first started using it when Taylor first came by and said hey, I've got these awesome composer packages. It's like Laravel, but you can install them separately. And I was like, fuck yeah, that's what I've been asking for. That's amazing. Um, and he, then I kind of tried setting them up by themselves and you couldn't, and it was too complicated. And I was like, can you do this at some point in the future? And he's like, yeah, but right now I'm just trying to make you know Laravel work and I don't care about the, I don't care about the rest. And I just want to make that work. And I was like, okay, that's fine for version four, but then maybe we can put some readme examples in for how you bootstrap them. And he was like, Probably, yeah. And then 4.0 came out, and 4.1 came out, and 4.2 came out. And, and it's become more and more clear. Uh, like he literally told me that he doesn't care about the packages working outside of that. Um, so I feel like that's one valid complaint that people might have. And it's definitely what I mean when I say that packages, like it, it's, not, it's not opening itself up to the PHP community. It's like, cool, we're going to take your packages and we're going to use them. And fuck you, you can't have us because they don't work unless you spend seven days bootstrapping. I think that's valid. I think, honestly, that's valid. I've seen a few responses from him where he just kind of says that's not the top of his list. My my hope and my instinct would be that's something that will eventually come. For example, here's, here's a perfect example. Uh, the new tool he released is called Envoy. It's like, for, uh, it's like a task runner for running various like bash commands on uh, your remote server. That is completely contained. So if you wanted to use that outside of a Laravel app, you completely could. No issues whatsoever. So my instinct is like, you have to remember like, yes, at the end of the day, Taylor is a dictator of Laravel. So that's a good thing. But along with that is also, there's only so many hours in a day. So he has his job with userscape. He also has to develop Laravel. He also has to, you know, work on the future of Laravel. So I can, I can understand a little bit that at the end of the day, maybe, maybe making those, um, those various components usable outside of Laravel, at least without a huge amount of work, maybe isn't at the top of this list. But no, I, I think that's that's a completely valid complaint. And I would hope that eventually that's something that will be coming. But I, I could imagine just at the end of the day, it just comes down to how many hours in the day are there available for him? You know, he has his full-time job. Just dealing with the number of GitHub issues, you know, like I don't even have a, a, a GitHub project even remotely close to to Laravel, and I can't keep up with the various issues that 
maybe that says I'm a shitty developer. I don't know. <laughs> he, <laughs> no, but know, honestly, like every has, project, uh, you know, family and kids. Yeah, exactly. So I can totally understand it because the point, like you can't keep up with all of this stuff. So you have to make sacrifices somewhere. So when he says that, that making those a little more portable isn't at the top of the list, I think of it less as him being, you know, a jerk and more siloing Laravel and more just saying, look, there's only so many hours in a day and this is what I'm, a, a, uh, this is what I'm capable of doing right now. That's not at the top of the list. Right. And, and is that a bad thing? I, I just think that's valid, right? I mean, that's, that's literally what Ben was pointing out with opening up to, to the community a little bit more, I guess, where he says like, uh, when, when, you know, it is a one man show and he's the only one doing everything, that's, that, that's kind of good, but at the same time, everyone's only got a certain amount of time, and therefore, it'd be good if other people could get involved. So yeah, that's the real, happen. that's the real advantage of the community is that hey, I know these things need to happen. Let me make issues for them or whatever to draw attention, and then let's let people work on them. But yeah. the community didn't create Laravel. Agreed. I'm not arguing with you on that. Point. You know, I think there is something to be said for that. Like. Like, I, I think eventually there's just Laravel will eventually turn to that point. But Laravel, like, we forget Laravel is really young, you know? Like, he went from version 1 to 4 in, I don't know, like, less than two, two years, years, right? Two, two so years, yeah. I can sort of understand it from his point of view. Like, look, Laravel is his baby, you know? So people keep saying, like, oh, you need to let this up for the community. And he already does to some extent. But I can understand if maybe he wants to hold on a little bit. Look, this is his creation, you know? People, sure. yeah. people should respect that to some extent, right? Yeah, what I would like to say personally, and you know, I've been through frameworks and languages over the years, I would like to see Taylor stay on his BDFL forever, but more focus on high-level stuff. You know, Taylor doesn't need to implement a, a cookie library, for instance. But if Taylor kept on for the high-level stuff and then tried to outsource more of the nitty-gritty just daily bullshit to the community. I think that would be a better thing. No, I don't want to make the whole sure. podcast about, hey, what should Taylor do? Because Taylor's not on here. So I would prefer no, we sure try to refocus a little bit. You know? I mean, I, I guess what the one thing I wanted to do there, which didn't work at all, was more sort of um, highlight why Laravel's been getting a lot of stick uh, by just not pointing out that just the hockey, the hockey spike of madness there um, has, has really caused that and uh, highlight that a lot of what people complain about is, is pretty fucking petty and what some of the good steps are for me for it to move forward would be. Um, so if, if uh, fuck it, if if we can start a little bit of a movement, just like get a couple of people like me and, and Ben, um, Colette definitely would be interested in doing this and just go through and start making more of the, like the capsule classes that, you know, that really um, help uh, bootstrapping for each one. Go through Illuminate and just kind of really uh, make them work by themselves, and then send the right pull requests to Laravel so that 4.2 can be running on this nice set of decoupled packages. Then we have all these amazing Illuminate components that the entire internet uh, PHP community can use, and then Laravel can use them too. And then everyone's, everyone's pretty happy, I guess. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, hopefully that will come. Like, it certainly couldn't be a bad thing. It just comes down to like man hours. How many hours in a day are there? To, to allow for that, you know? Certainly, that would be a, be a good thing. Yeah, and most likely, too, if, if me and Phil, for instance, or, you know, Zach's beard, took it on ourselves to actually, you know, decouple these things for RFL and submit a pull request, I don't doubt that Taylor would, you know, accept them. It's, uh, 
you know, so we're probably complaining about something that we don't actually want to do the work to do in a way, but we're, you know, we do wish that it was uh, promoted as something that's needed because it is, because that's I a big, big Maybe the point is uh, if it was more obvious that a whole lot of work going into a pull request to completely abstract some of the stuff would almost certainly be accepted, then maybe more people would be willing to put the effort into doing it. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Well, so what because I'll just talk to him. I hate. I'll just, I'll just talk to him uh, off off air and then find out if he gives damn about us starting a movement. Then I'll blog about it. See it. Who is interested in joining? Oh, don't blog. Stop blogging can. about stuff. Please. Don't do that. Okay, I'll, ne- I'll never blog again. Cool. Um, Your blogs never end well. I've got my no. Phil's blogs are perfectly like, good. It's like, just the absence of a smiley face. If you would just like do a smiley, exactly. smiley face, exactly. it would fix everything. Just one little like The problem is Phil says something. Blog. The problem is Phil says something very, um, you know, very aggressive. But at least on Twitter, it comes across very aggressive. So people respond with questions. Phil, you maybe assume that they're a little bit more aggressive than they are. Yeah, yeah, and the problem is on Twitter, everyone assumes that every tweet is aggressive when it's not. It's just people so, asking questions. Hey, but reason- each person assumes that the other one is being. A- a bit of a jerk. The truth is that nobody is being a jerk. So if we would all just do a little smiley face, then we would understand like, look, we're just having conversations here. Nobody's upset, but it, it's, yeah, it's kind of me sad. It seems like, go ahead. Um, well, the smiley face yeah. is great, but then, and like the winky face is great because that shows that you're happy and you're smiling. And then everyone just assumes you're being a patronizing douchebag. So there's no way to win. Anyway, yes, um, this is true. This is your accent. This is true. Your accent's fault. That's the problem. So one great thing is that people have said um, since uh, before before they met me, they assumed that I was being an arsehole. After they've met me at a conference or whatever, they read every tweet that I say in my accent, and then they they love it, and they're just like, "Oh, I see his point now." Yeah, no, he's not being a dick. All right. So what if you just did a Vimeo video for every tweet from now on? Well, that's what I just started doing. Just video. <laughs> uh, Jeffrey. Yeah. I have a question for you that I've been meaning to ask you since we first met over a year ago. Um, with Laracast and the sort of stuff that you teach day to day, which is stuff that I think is incredibly amazing knowledge, do you ever consider that the stress you put on uh, design patterns and correct best practice engineering principles is ever a negative factor to people that are just starting out. <laughs> yes. Gosh, yes. Uh, the problem with Laracast is I think sometimes it can come across as, um, I really hope it doesn't come across this way, but I think sometimes it's like, this is the, this is the right way to do it. And I would be the first person to say, this is the right way for me to do it right now, but I'm. if I look at code I wrote a year ago, just like I think basically anyone, if you look at code you wrote a year ago, it's you think it's crap, you know? Like that's yeah. how much, how quickly we get better. So that's something, uh, I guess I struggle with Laracast a, a lot. Every video that I post is kind of reflective of what I'm thinking at that given point in time. And that's why like Laracast is really new, but it's going to be really important that as I get better as a developer, those old videos that maybe I grow to disagree with have to be updated. So yeah, like I would never want to say um, this is the right way to do it, or you have to do it this way because it's simply not 
not true. And that's the hard thing. Like there's a there's a bunch of different ways to do this. It depends on what you're building. And that that's something I really struggle with Laracast is like, do I do I show you the the quick way to do this? If you're for example, let's say you're building like something really simple, a little tool. Well, the techniques that you might use for that are going to be very different if you're building a SeatGeek or if you're building, you know, a big app. The, the, techni the techniques you use will be very different. Mm -hmm. So how do you um, how do you help people or how do you teach people while keeping that in mind that it's completely dependent upon what you are building? You know, everyone like in the PHP community, like all the idea of like dependency injection and service right. locators, all of this stuff is like a big deal right now. You know, it wasn't people, this is how I know PHP will be okay. It's a couple, even two or three years ago, people weren't talking about this. Right. And they are talking about it now. But um, I don't know. It's entirely dependent upon what you're building. Sure. You know, I, I bring it up earlier today. I got into a, a discussion on uh, Laravel off topic about some things that, you know, had to do with, uh, you know, SeatGeek is a uh, largely legacy application. The company is like four years old, but a lot of it's really old code and it's hard to bring it up to, you know, service locator speed. You know, and got into a discussion with some guys in Laravel off topic about, you know, how maintaining that or, you know, building service providers is just pretty much impossible. And uh, a lot of what you're doing is is amazing, but could maybe make some people feel like they're just doing something wrong. Right. Why not what bring would you recommend? If you were doing my job, like what would you recommend? No, I mean, I think you're, I think what you're doing is, is great. And Lynn Laracast is great. And, uh, you know, a disclaimer as this is not the way every single application in the world is ever going to be engineered is, you know, more than sufficient. I, guess right. I think the and problem that, you're running to Jeffrey is, um, you know, you're going to get a lot of the beginners. Like, CodeIgniter had a lot of beginner programmers, and a lot of those have moved under, over to Laravel to its, uh, you know, benefit and detriment. And, you know, I think that's kind of what Zach's saying here is, you know, people are going to think that this is how everything should work because this is the first thing they've learned, maybe. Is that right, Zach? I've, I've seen people saying things like, I've just gone to Laravel and I really like it, but I'm not entirely sure how I should um, unit test my controllers. And I'm like, fucking don't. Stop that. Like, you know, if, it's, if you've just got into PHP programming and if you've just got into the framework, um, I, I get that it's really good to teach people, um, but I feel like a lot of people have started to, uh, to, to pick it up as something that they have to do. Um, so they, they just started doing it and they're instantly unit testing all their controllers. And I feel like that's a really bad thing. Well, it's not a bad thing, but I feel like that might be something that a brand new user could easily get stuck in the mud in when they're not entirely sure how to fucking send a form for the data to create a user. Like when they can do something basic, trying to unit test a controller might be complicated and maybe a bad idea. But at the same time, you're right. It's crazy that beginners are even trying to do that in the first place. Um, and it's cool that beginners are trying to do that because a few years ago, no one would have bothered. So it's one of those like tough way ups of like they probably shouldn't just yet, but it's good that they should, and maybe they should do it a little bit. Exactly, Jeffrey. Honestly, it's really hard. Like, like I I agree with everything all of you are saying, but when it comes to like, all right, when you when it comes to to helping people and showing people what you've learned, that's really hard to get through. Saying like this is one way to do it. Now there's three other ways. I feel like I've tried to do that. Like 
my the last uh, presentation that I gave at Laracon in Amsterdam, like the very first thing I said was, this is one way to do it. You know, there's this is or or this is what I have decided, like this is what feels right to me and what might feel right to you or your company might be different. You know, that's like it's hard to you don't want to say that at the beginning of every single tutorial or article or or video you produce. But it's, it's totally valid. I, like, I agree with everything you guys are saying. But when it comes down to actually showing somebody a technique, it's very difficult. The, the one that comes up more than anything, I've brought this up a few times, is, is repositories. Like Taylor started showing people repositories. So now every single person thinks they need to use repositories in their application. And it's like what I always say is unless you know that you need to use repositories, you probably don't need to use them. You know, and that's the hard thing. People watch a, a, a video or read an article on how to use repositories and they think that's the only way to do it. And they think they're not allowed to use simple facades in their controllers. And it's like, no, it just completely depends on what you are building. And um, that's, that's been one of the hardest things with Laracast is trying to illustrate that it's con entirely contingent upon what you are doing. Yeah, I feel like a lot of beginners pick up repositories straight away. That's kind of what I was talking about with the how do I unit test my controllers and stuff. And um, yeah, people would kind of jump straight into the, the repository pattern. I've had people come up to me and, uh, and say like, so I've got all of these repositories and uh, and everything's everything's working really well, but I still don't know why I need them. <laughs> right, and it's like if like, you don't know why you need them, then you don't need them. Something, I guess, and they're like, well, we're never going to switch to Mongo. I'm like, then you didn't need them. Exactly, and that's the hardest thing to say. It's like if you don't know why you need them, then you don't need them. But then I, I encounter people like they're trying to learn about best practices. They're trying to learn about how to build larger apps. So they try to to integrate some of these these higher level like these techniques that were really meant for building large scale apps. They're trying to implement them into the smaller you know the the demo projects that you build when you're trying to learn something. And uh, you can't blame them. Like that's how you learn. You you start out with these these dummy projects, the task apps that exist everywhere. You know, ah, uh, uh, this is hard. This is hard. <laughs> All right, let me ask you another one since I've got you. Um, let's say you are a large scale application, and the majority of it is written in PHP, specifically Symphony one point one, and you want to start applying some of these best practices. This sounds personal. It's not, but let's say it is. Um, what what direction would you head first? Where would you start to go to modernize a incredibly legacy application when you have the whole team on board to begin to monetize or uh, modernize? What what's the first kind of consideration you think you would make? Like, uh, is it testing? Is it like, like refactoring? What it would be. It would honestly be testing, but maybe like it depends. Like, not every application has to be. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to say the wrong thing. But like, if you have some old application built on CodeIgniter, there's nothing that says like you have to upgrade it. You know, I think people people want to, but it's like if it works and it's built on CodeIgniter, then then fine. So it comes down to like, all right. So if you've decided that you want to modernize or you want to upgrade to the latest version, that's a little different. Um, I don't know. I'd say the first thing would be tests. Like, I don't know. How do you, how do you upgrade? How do you refactor without tests? I don't know how to do it. I, I Honestly, it's like acceptance tests to like try hitting as many URLs and see if the whole thing completely breaks uh, and try and cover with as many acceptance tests as possible. 
then um, right. then you can start to recode without breaking that top, you know, outside layer. Um, and then as you kind of refactor mm-hmm. it, you can the new code can have you know some dependency injection goodness in there. And then you make sure your acceptance tests still work. And then you can start to really test small sections and like you pull out a layer. Um, you know, you have the MVC, but you keep pulling out one more layer so that you have repositories or something or a domain object. And then you kind of keep pulling out one layer at a time and writing unit tests for that one layer and then pull out another one. That's sound about right, right. Jeffrey? Or? No, I mean, that's what I would do. I can't imagine how you would do it otherwise. So it's like, all right, let's imagine that you have this legacy app that has zero tests. Sure, let's call that seatgeek.com. <laughs> no, well, okay. I'm just kidding. I'm, assuming I'm that, kidding, but go ahead. Okay, assuming that though, how would you uh, confidently go about upgrading or or changing this app without some tests confirming whether the changes you have made have broke anything or not? I don't honestly like. I'm sure there's a way because people have done this for many years before TDD was even a thing, but. At this point, like I don't know how you would do it, and that's probably why you, most of these apps. Go ahead. Do you believe them Ouija boards? <laughs> I would have had a forty-man QA team before. That's how you do it. You have a forty-man QA team. Yeah, exactly. You need a team dedicated oh, to man. verifying whether what you did just screwed everything up, and that just right. sounds like I've never honestly worked in an environment like that. But I don't know. Like they are truly scary. Yeah, I would do exactly what Phil said. I would I would create acceptance tests to at least verify on a very outside in perspective whether uh, whether everything works or not, and then just slowly incrementally do a little bit of refactoring and extracting. But yeah, it's hard. You know, this stuff is really hard, and that's why I come back to like it depends on what you're building. Maybe if you're building just a simple app that doesn't have to change, maybe it's okay that it that it runs on that older version. I don't know. That's why this stuff is so hard. And that's why I would retire in 10 years if I could, because it's too hard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good man. Paul Jones, we were talking about earlier, has a, uh, has a book um, all about modernizing legacy web applications, which I'll put a link to in the show notes. Um, and he will cover in depth how you do this shit. So anyway, guys, uh, it's about time to wrap that one up. Um, we talked about a bunch of stuff, and, and there will be links to the show notes, um, there are links in the footnotes uh, for anyone who's interested in finding out more. Um, so, uh, Jeffrey, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, it's been great having you. Yeah, thanks, show. Jeffrey. It was good to have you. We didn't thank get to talk guys. about Vim at all. We'll save that we for next time. Quickly, uh, Vim or PHP Storm? Uh, I don't know. Both. <laughs> Both are ridiculously good. I would say... Um, Vim, uh, I'd say PHP Storm if you hate IDEs. If you hate IDEs, check it out because it's... We need to do a redux to this because I want to hear about PHP Storm versus Sublime. Yeah, maybe next time. I've used so many of them. I'm kind of like an editor. I don't know. I'm obsessed with them. I love learning about workflow and all that stuff. That's really what I'm into is workflow. So, yeah, maybe next time. Nice. Excellent. Well, thank you very much again. Um, And uh, thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll see you all next time. Cool. All right. See you later. Thanks. Bye, guys.